Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Get it straight. This is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk. Uh, I am one of the two brothers slash kind of comedians uh, slash co-hosts, Will Hines. And we're both... I messed up my first word <laughs> and I had trouble saying, uh, and I'm Kevin Hines. Uh well, you know, we live in a, we live in a podcast age where a lot of times people don't speak until they are recording mm-hmm. podcasts, and so I think this is going to be a a more and more common occurrence where people are tripping over their words when they're when they're podcasting because it's the only time they're going to be talking. Yeah, until we can do podcasts by text only, like just by texting back and forth, and have that turned into a podcast. Oh, That'll boy. be the, that's that's the real future. Must be so many scientists working on that. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of the most important things that faces us as a as a as a species. Yeah. Um, Kevin, we are doing our talking about Busick series. That's right. Um, and today last, we're gonna. Oh, last week we covered Marvels, mm-hmm. and this week we're gonna do Thunderbolts. Yeah. Um, Marvels, Thunderbolts, Astro City, Avengers probably are his four big tent poles that everyone that I think most everyone knows about when they think uh, of Kurt's work. Yeah. Like those are the things that I think would pop in. And this is, you know, the second one, um, third one, I think chronologically, or maybe fourth one. Uh, uh, no third one. Cause Avengers was after this for sure. So third one chronologically. Um, yeah. Uh, this was exciting. This maybe cemented Kurt as like a force to be reckoned with. Uh, or at least in my mind, like this is a guy I'm going to buy everything he writes. Yeah. I remember this uh, had a big effect on you. And I remember you talking about it at the time when it happened. Uh, I'm certainly really impressed by this first issue. I and mean, I think this first issue is like legendary. I think it's like, it's like one of the great uh, sort of dramatic moments in modern Marvel comics. It's also uh, what it does is sort of hard to do again like uh not even just specifically but just surprising readers to this level uh because of the internet and the obviously the internet was around this came out in 97 but the internet is so much more pervasive yeah um and even just the existence of social media which didn't really exist in 97 wasn't that lightning fast um spread of rumor and stuff you know it's like i wake up in the morning it's like 7 a.m. and it's and I and if I check my phone, it's like here's a spoiler for all those shows you're gonna watch tonight. Uh, here's right. what's coming up in comics next week. Uh, here's uh, can you believe this happens at the end of this new movie you want to see? And I'm like, oh great, nothing I have can have surprises anymore unless I just like totally yeah. cut off my existence from the internet. And I do want uh, to apologize for those tweets. Those are mostly from my account, and I and I yeah. and I really I really got to stop. People don't realize ruining your day. Most spoilers start with you. Yeah, you have a lot of sources, and I don't get get the credit I deserve. Really, they all go. They all get retweeted or or like resourced or whatever. Like uh, guys, people just cut and paste what you say and put them on their own accounts. But they all start with you. You're the source for most of those things. Remember when you were posting all those images of the three Spider Men hugging to ruin No Way Home? Yep. Uh, People were mad, but they didn't know it was you. Yep. And yet I and yet I only have, you know, a certain number of followers. And uh, I, I think it's not fair. Hey, you're but, doing um, OK. You're doing OK with followers. I distracted uh, you from your point, which is like I, don't, I didn't have one. Well, it's just that it's hard to imagine this kind of surprise happening again. 
Yeah. Um, and so when we it, talk, it's, it's kind of like the sixth sense, which came out around the same time, like two years later, where like a twist yeah. got saved. You know, it does happen occasionally. A twist happens in a major way. And like every, you know, maybe like the end of the second season of The Mandalorian a little bit was kind of like a that got twist. spoiled uh, for me, for her. But I think it happens sometimes with movies. Not always, but I think some movies people just like don't talk about for a few weeks. And sometimes we're TV shows too. I think if it's if it's too pop culture-y, if it's too, you know, Star Wars or superheroes, it just gets leaked so fast. But if it's not those categories, I think sometimes there are twists or surprises. I, I just watched the new James Bond movie, No mm-hmm. Time to Die. Uh, and I got to the end of the movie. I'm not going to say how it ends, but I was like, I can't believe I didn't know this. Um, yeah. So- I didn't know how it ended. So that was a surprise for me. It was both, both a surprise but my main surprise was, how did I not know this? Yeah, right. Um, so sometimes it does happen, yeah. these, these kind of things. So, But this was a big one. And so yeah. should we? I think we need to spoil it right at the beginning yeah. so we can talk to about To talk it. about this comic, we have to talk about how it ends. If you haven't read the comic, I mean, I don't know, then you're not going to, I assume. Like, uh, <laughs> or you're not going to until after we talk about it, perhaps. It's still and a really good. you probably already heard about it. If you read comics at all, this is a known thing. Yeah, and it's still a really good comic, even if you know the surprise. Uh, I knew yeah. the twist going in for this read, and I was just really enjoying it. And yeah. as we said last episode, uh, I'm just so impressed with Kurt's just general ability to craft a good superhero story. Like, it's just so clear and thought mm-hmm. through. So... This is about this is a team called the Thunderbolts. This is during a time in Marvel Comics when the Avengers and the Fantastic Four do not exist. They've right. been removed from reality. So in the Marvel Universe's eyes, these heroes are all dead. Now, was this done, like you were saying, Kevin, as part of like Marvel trying to kind of get its mojo back, sort of like um yeah, like, well, w- was it a temporary stunt? Was it like these the, books aren't selling, so let's get them out of the way? Uh, unclear um those books were not selling for sure avengers and fantastic four were low selling books even though they were sort of like held in critical acclaim by old readers right like uh avengers and fantastic four like these are the main marvel characters not wolverine and and um you know whoever yeah Uh, not x-force not cable it's these are the guys that uh, i grew up reading but they weren't selling like that these were the low sellers uh, not the lowest selling Marvel comics by any stretch, but like these kind of low sellers that used to be like Fantastic Four used to be the title. Right. And it had become like a bad book that nobody maybe, really read. Maybe an albatross, maybe like a burden for the company. It's like, oh, we're supposed to have reverence for this title, but the kids aren't buying it. What are we supposed to do? Yeah. So what they did was they hired or or licensed it out. Uh, it's something between those two things to Rob Lee Field and Jim Lee to hotshot image artists who used to work for Marvel and said, like, you take these characters, they will be Marvel comics, but also they will be by you guys. Uh, so they, they weren't giving the ownership to those guys, but like those guys were making it. They kind of were completely in control. They had their they own had creative control during that time. To some extent, I got to imagine Marvel had to be able to say like, oh, don't don't have Reed Richards rape. You know, if, if, like someone pitched <laughs> right. that as a storyline or whatever. Right, right, right. I don't know if it came up. Like these guys were doing it because they loved these characters. Um, and so for 12 issues, they were not part of the Marvel Universe. They were in their own little corner. And the thought was at a point where it was like, if this is successful, they will continue it and or add more titles to it. Like if this had been a huge, huge success. Yeah. There is an, a world where 
more and more Marvel comics kind of go under that umbrella and like our Marvel universe would not exist anymore. But uh, instead it kind of didn't work and eventually they got brought back in the fold and the MCU happens 10 years later. And I think it things go. I think think it's sold well enough, but I think at the end, like, you know, whoever owned Marvel at the time was like, it doesn't make, it's still better for us to put out bad comics of our own. Yeah. Than to give these guys so much control. Uh, So during that period, there's, the Avengers and the FF are gone. So all that's really left in the Marvel universe is X-Men. Spider-Man and the X-Men and like a handful of like also reds, the new warriors. Uh, and so what was nice about it is the Marvel editors and creators at the time took this as an opportunity to try to like kind of get new things started, like take that vacuum as a blessing and see if they can get some things that also normally wouldn't sell that get off the ground. So they started like a new heroes for hire title. Uh, John Orstrander and Pascal Ferry did that. I'm mispronouncing that name, but that was a pretty good title and well-regarded. Um, and another one that came up during this was Kurt Busick's Thunderbolts. Right. And Thunderbolts was sold. Um, it was advertised as like, these are all new characters. This is a new hero team to sort of fill the void that the Avengers have left both in our line of titles and also in the Marvel universe, we need like a team of the main heroes. Right. And, and so if this you're the team will be it. And if you're a comics fan and you see that advertising campaign, it makes total sense. You don't question it. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. They've taken their, a lot of characters off the board. So they need new ones. And okay. Yeah. I'm let's, let's see if I'm a fan of Marvel, let's see what they got. Right. Like yeah. it, it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, they were advertised pretty heavily at the time. I remember like, Knowing very well these guys were coming up, they had uh, they appeared in some sort of anthology book, like Tales of the Marvel Universe, uh, and they also showed up in an issue of the Hulk, which I was reading because Peter David was writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, played completely straight. This was the Thunderbolts showing up, and I was interested in this book because at this time I had read Marvels and I was reading Until Tales. Maybe Until Tales was done by this point, uh, so I liked Kurt's work, and I was like, well, let me check this out, and. Uh, I'll tell you this. I did not enjoy their appearance in the Hulk. I did not enjoy their appearance in tales of the Marvel universe. I found those stories kind of bland. Yeah. They seem like just sort of cookie cutter heroes, just like, a, you know, another power and name and who cares? Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, I, that almost stopped me from trying this comic out, but Kurt's name alone was enough to be like, I'll give it an issue. Right. Marvel's is so good. How can this guy, and he didn't write the Hulk issue. Like he wrote the other one, but it was like, I, I, I you know, I was just like, well, let's, I'm going to give him a fair shot. I really liked this first issue before we get to the end, which re- kind of has this big reveal, but I liked the issue before that. So let's, and, what, what did you like about it before the reveal? Because I, I liked it too, but w- what was it? There's something, there's something. Well, as, as we go through it, I think it'll be easier to talk about like okay. how I liked it on both ends. Okay. But generally what I liked about it was he was playing up this idea of, uh, the hero's place in the Marvel universe, the kind of the fame, uh, yeah. how people reacted to the team was like a big part of this first issue. Yeah, Instead of a- just being like, it wasn't just, my fear was it was going to be just hero show up, fight a bad guy. We did it. We're the new heroes. And like, okay. But it wasn't that. It felt like there was this something like else going on. A the little public the image street. part of it. Like, it's a little bit like Marvel's, right? Like, what does the public think of this? Mm-hmm. What does, what does the new, how does the news cover it? Yeah, Thunderbolts seemed aware of, they seemed like good guys, but they also seemed like aware of what their perception was going to be. There's a lot of press conferences and things like that. And 
and they seem kind of um ready for it like yeah uh captain v the leader of the thunderbolts in their first big uh, citizen Citizen v V. my bad um sometimes known as wolverine by a lot of people (laughs) at least i got him half right (laughs) (laughs) um uh citizen v when in their first press conference like they all talk as a group and then he kind of says all right well i'll speak to you individually as if they've been ready for the press like they've trained themselves for the press yeah and so i remember reading this comic and i went and going i hope this is good and i was like oh this is pretty good it wasn't like this is the best thing i ever read this isn't marvels this isn't untold tales of spider-man but i was like this is very good and i can see this getting really good i was on board and then at the very end the last couple pages there's a big reveal that uh, this team are, they're not all new characters. They're existing characters and they're all villains. Yeah, the Masters of Evil. Baron Zemo, the leader of the Masters of Evil, have gotten them together and most of them are former Masters of Evil, maybe all? A few, a few of them are Masters of Evil. I, I don't think most of them actually are, but they're all villains. Uh, and I was blown away. I was floored that I didn't know this coming. This was a comic I definitely reread again right away to see, like, were there clues? Did I miss this? Um, and very oh, yeah. early on, the, the Masters of Evil are mentioned, which is Kurt's very smart about that, like to let you know who yeah. these characters are before they're revealed, but in a way that doesn't make it stand out at yeah, all. They're just listing various threats that exist. And so it's kind of like an aside. And they're given a little bit of emphasis because they're such a big deal team, but not like in a way that like this is important information. I noticed that too. I read it twice for this episode and it was like, Masters of Evil, many of which are still at large. Like, that's the only hint yeah. that we might be dealing with them later in the issue. It's very soft. Yeah. Uh, so when they're to reveal, those, like, oh, that's so cool. And it really just changed this book. Uh, and before and Kevin, the- I want to say, go. I'm impressed by that. You, you're an astute comics reader. You're up on what's going on in the fictional universes that you're reading. Um, and they got you good. And if they got Kevin Hines, they got a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, this was a huge shock. A lot of people were surprised. It's amazing they kept it secret um, or as secret as it was. Uh, uh, it's very impressive that they pulled it off. It is a thing that I just can't see happening now because like, I just know what's coming at comics three months before they come out. So it was wanna, really, really cool. I want to say something. It also like signals a something that I, I had trouble articulating last episode. And Kevin, I'm going to still have trouble articulating it, but I want to keep working on it, which is like Kurt um, and maybe all of Marvel Comics at this time is really depending on you, the reader, being a seasoned comics reader who even it's not like you need to have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything to enjoy these. You don't. But you need to like you need to sort of like they are they are playing with tropes and cliches in a way. It's like. Uh, like, I don't even know if this twist could work in the 60s because there weren't enough characters to, like, pull this off. But, like, I mean, you could do a story in the 60s where just characters you hadn't heard of, villains trying to be heroes. But Kurt could pluck these guys that existed and, you know, he could work within the continuity and find a surprise. He was like a wizard of continuity, I guess. And, and um as readers, we kind of appreciated that. We're like, oh, he's not like, quote, breaking the rules of Marvel's history. He's working within it. And just that feat is interesting. And I don't know, that started to happen more and more. People who yeah. could take take the burden of continuity and use it as a, it's a feature, not a bug. I would quibble with the word need, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think like they are, they take advantage 
of that or like it amplifies the story like these stories are more fun if you know where all these things are being pulled from but i don't think it matters because at this point i had not read a baron zemo comic i hadn't either i guess the, okay when they do the big reveal right and they reveal who their real yeah. identities are yeah i hadn't heard of barely any of these guys the Beatle was the only one I, I knew who Baron Zemo was, but I don't think I'd read a single comic same, with him same. in it. I knew that Baron Zemo was a villain, and he's like a Captain America villain, really, right? Yep. And um, and I and knew I, the Beatle because of Spider-Man. Yep, and that's all I knew. And yeah, Screaming Mimi I hadn't heard of. Goliath I knew was one of the identities of Giant Man at one point, but I'd assume this was a different Goliath. Yep. And um, who's the other person? Moon, Moonstone, uh, Fixer. Didn't know Moon Center Fixer. However, I was like, I know these are somebody. These are these are people. I'm sure if I went yeah. digging, I could find them. Just just like you can find if you're reading The Watchmen and you find out that they're based on Charlton characters, you're like, oh, I guess mm-hmm. I guess this is somebody. But I think that's my point. Like, I think this works. If this was your first comic book, as long as you've heard of superheroes, I think this works mostly. Like, it's very clear. I mean, Baron Zemo is so evil <laughs> that it reads immediately that oh this is a very these are super bad guys pretending to be good guys that's really interesting okay i thought of how i want to say it this is but this is the point i'm trying to make we just turn off my speaker so i don't have to hear it okay yeah great because it's going to be worthless um so you know the show saturday night live kevin have you heard of that show the sketch comedy show on saturday nights sure uh it's place sunday mornings on youtube that's right so originally snl was like sketches like it was just comedy sketches you know either reflecting on the things of the week or just characters or whatever but eventually the show itself becomes famous enough that it can become the subject of a sketch the sketch could just be the five timers club like who's hosted this show for five times or like oh lauren's here and lauren is almost like you know he's a character on the show the kind of out of touch rich guy you know who walks around and then like even former performers sort of become characters of themselves like john lovitz just kind of lingering around listen you know and, and then that goes on and on to where who's the new character who's the new guy who's the old guy right that increase it, it never becomes the main thrust of the show but it is a frequent well that they draw from on snl just like the idea that we are on snl at all right mm-hmm. and i feel like th- that's happening to marvel comics in the 90s like and Kurt's one of the guys who uses it to great effect. Like the fact that this is a Marvel comic and what it means to introduce new heroes itself can be a twist. And it's a moment. The reveal of the hero in their name is a thing that we, I don't know, somewhere in there is what's happening in the 90s. Yeah, I think I, I see that. I just think there's a difference between what's happening here than say like what's happening in the new Spider-Man movie where it's like, uh, that movie, even though I think it's enjoyable to people who haven't seen it, is made for people who have know about and have heard about and or seen these other Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And this I, I, I don't feel is as much like this is for people who've been reading Avengers for 20 years. It, this, I think, works just as well if you've been reading comics for a year. Yeah. Um, it's, a, so, it's a very well-told story. I think there's ways to do this where it's just continuity fun. And I think and I think Kurt is just not the kind of writer who is going like, I think he'd rather lose the continuity. I think he'd rather have all new characters. Yeah. Then um, let that drive too much. Um, all right. I'll keep coming at it. 
maybe I'm just too close to it. But I, to me, like, I think there's just a difference between like the word need or like this is like critical to it, where it's just like, to me, it's more like sprinkles on the ice cream. Like mm-hmm. uh, that just makes it taste better. Um, well, the the brothers are, the podcast is over. Um, so a little background, more background on what's going on here too. Just um, I'll try to be pretty quick about it. But, um, and I had not read the story at the time, but there was like a big storyline under Roger Stern's era where the um, Masters of Evil basically invade the Avengers Mansion and like basically win. Okay. They like cripple. Um, Hercules is put into a coma, I believe. Captain America is defeated by Baron Zemo. Yeah. And it's sort of this very vicious, decisive victory by the Masters of Evil. And a lot of people look at this book as sort of like um, a the, the next the next big Masters of Evil storyline because like that one sort of was like better than anything else that had ever been done with those characters. And then this kind of happened where it's like, ooh, they had an even better plan that worked. Um, so I think that's just a little thing that's interesting to know. And also Kurt had this idea. Kurt's one of these guys who like he's very active on social media, so he shares his uh, ideas and where they've come from sometimes. And he mm-hmm. talks a lot about how the idea for this story started. Cause he was sort of like, what would I do if I was writing the Avengers? And one of his ideas was because Avengers has sort of a rotating team membership. Yeah. That he would slowly bring in new members to the team until it was like captain America and the masters of evil, but just cap didn't know it. Like he had slowly ha- had his team taken over by the masters of evil to where it was just him working with a bunch of the masters so that they could like surprise him that way it was sort of an idea he came by okay. and he hadn't quite worked out all the details because he wasn't writing the adventures. Right. Um, and when they were like, were looking for pitches during this era, he's like, I think this could work even better this way. And so he sort of just modified his take. Oh, interesting. This. Uh, and then I, I think there was also a lot of him figuring out what characters am I allowed to use for this? Okay. Right. Um, and I, I don't know all the details of that, but I know that like, Songbird was a pretty late addition, uh, Screaming Mimi. Um, okay. Like he, I think there was another character he wanted that he didn't get, and then he kind of took this character and like um, really reworked her largely from the pre-existing character. I and also, this... I, I think okay. he went into it. Um, one more thing. I think he also went into it thinking these characters were going to go a certain way. And then as he was writing it very quickly, he realized, like, I think he very early on thought the Beatle would be somebody who backslides into crime. Okay. Um, and stays a villain. But very early on, he's like, no, Beetle, like just reading old Beetle comics, like the Beetle just wants respect. And now he's got it. He's happy. Uh, uh, and so he sort of like really worked out like which direction yeah. these characters were going to play. There is that moment in this issue where he's like, they're clapping for us or something like that. Yeah. Now he maybe figured this out before issue one even hit the stands, but uh, he talks a lot about like when he was first coming up with this idea, the Beetle was supposed to backslide. And there is a moment where Beetle, in later issues commits a crime and citizen V yells at him. He's like, if you get caught doing this, it ruins my whole plan. Don't do this. Yeah. Um, but when, when, uh, when like, so the, the climax of the first year happens, the Beatle is not into being a villain anymore. Um, that's uh, really interesting. I read this on Wikipedia. Maybe this is the moment you're talking about, but uh, so they, they quote Busick talking about the origins of this. And there's a detail in here that I, I think is amazing. So this is a quote from Busick that's on Wikipedia. The actual origin of Thunderbolts came when I used to live in New Jersey and drive to New England to visit my parents. To keep myself awake, 
by the way, not that far a drive, Kurt, I don't know. But um, I give myself books to write and work out about two to three years of continuity. One trip, I signed myself Avengers and came up with a plan that the masters of evil would ultimately conquer them by posing as new heroes and slowly replacing them. At the time, I thought it was a neat idea and filed it away. But like, <laughs> I love the idea of him just assigning himself a book. Yeah for fun and hypothetically working out plots as he drove. Like this guy was meant to be a Marvel comics writer. <laughs> yeah. That is the exact story I'm talking about. Um, and then he sort of repurposed it for Thunderbolts. Um, so we should talk about this issue. And then afterwards I'll talk a little bit about where the title goes from here. Um, just a little bit. We're not going to go into deep detail, but we're going to kind of go through issue one, right? Well, let's do it. Okay. So um, I wasn't listening. Who are the Thunderbolts? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just like Kevin so, said, this book opens with kind of saying how the, a lot of characters are gone. They're dead in this, in this current moment of Marvel Comics history. We should also history. mention this is drawn by Mark Bagley, uh -huh. who uh, uh, becomes very famous for doing, I think this is before, but becomes very famous for his long run on Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. He's like a big time Spider-Man artist. But uh, this is also, I think, one of his big, in my mind, he was on this title for a long time and like had to draw a lot of different characters. So it's and, he designed, and he designed a lot of the, the look of the characters. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yes, it starts with a, a reporter talking about the death of the Avengers and the death of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And how who's going to take care of us now? Like they're very aware that they need new heroes. Um there's a little subplot of, or it, 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 there's also somebody getting kidnapped. Yep. Um, which is going to play out in future issues. Um, yeah. And then uh, we get like two pages of just like villains being talked about. And it starts like talking about um, like <laughs> the Lava Men and Blastar and the Frightful Four, a favorite of mine. Um, <laughs> and, and then mentions the Masters of Evil. With like a little bit of gravitas and in that image of the Masters of Evil, you see Moonstone, Baron Zemo, and Goliath. It's oh, and, and maybe the fixture is there too. Uh, it's always funny to me, um, not even funny, it's interesting to me in a, in a Marvel comic when they do this kind of like rundown of lots of characters, especially groups of characters. That'll happen now and then, you know, some news reporters like, think of all the heroes out there. Like just thinking how many of them were designed by Jack Kirby. Like the number is crazy. It's like 75% of the people you're looking at are Kirby costumes, but you can usually tell by the insane headgear. Um, but I don't know. I, I know that's like an old obvious point, but Kirby's impact on the Marvel universe is just so thorough and remarkable. Um, it's pretty crazy. That's all. Yeah. But just like Mr. Hyde, the mad thinker, the Android, uh, uh, what's the sound guy? Kang, what's his, um, Claw, claw, yeah. Uh, you know, the wizard with his crazy helmet and stuff like that. Blastar, the living bomb burst, which I never even totally understood what a bomb burst is, but I know that he's it. It's just, I don't know, just a Kirby tastic couple of pages. Yeah, there's a, a good amount. This, there's a pretty wide range of characters just in general here, though. Uh, uh, I the, think the heroes later, are newer. And, and Absorbing Man is later, but um, and I don't know if Kirby, this is the if this is uh, the tweaked design of Baron Zemo, Kirby probably did the original Baron Zemo for sure when he like had a less form-fitting mask. Okay, yeah. He used, uh, to okay. Like a, he used to have like a bag, uh, uh, like a loose... Like a burlap sack kind of thing? Yeah. 
And you um, couldn't see his chin, basically. Okay, so then we get um we we get to the kind of the villains of the issue, which is a uh, uh, thieves called the Rat Pack, who are um, looting some houses that are kind of in the in the wake of the battle that removed the heroes. These guys are looting properties. Yeah, um, and the, the villains are not very important to this story. No. Um, because again, like I think, well, the twist at the end is a big part of it, but then also sort of this fame and public attention that this team gets is really the heart of what this story yeah. is about. How does the a new superhero group? How does a new superhero group establish themselves in right. the eyes of the public? Uh, but you know, even so, uh, I was kind of marveling at. Um, it's weird to use that verb when talking about Marvel Comics, but uh, at Kurt's um, just ability to very economically establish something and give him a twist. So it's Rat Pack, they're thieves, they're going after jewels, and they're kind of like, you know, crack cat burglar squad. Uh, you know, they got a cool little name, they got a cool little look from Mark Bagley, like just, that's what I mean by just very um, uh, expert comic book writing. Like, that's just a nice little way to handle, okay, here's a villain and not a lot of real estate, because we don't need, we don't want, we don't want them to have a lot of real estate, but it's still kind of fun. I can, I can follow the Rat Pack for a little bit if we're going to. Yeah, the leader's given a bit of a personality. We also find out like they're they're stealing stuff, but that is bonus. They're there to do something else, which uh, we assume is the kidnapping we saw earlier. Um, but like but this is secondary. Not. It's like they're allowed to loot while they're doing it. So it's like it's not just guys stealing stuff. Let's get. They're not just coming out of the bank with right. a bag, a money bag. There's a right. little bit more going on here, which yeah. is nice. Which is nice, yeah. And then we get the arrival of the Thunderbolts for their first battle, and the Thunderbolts show up and fight them, and we start to meet all the characters. Yeah, we meet Citizen V first, and he's got just a great costume. Yeah, it's fun. It's Whenever there's an American flag worked into somebody's costume, it's always an interesting choice because, because like, one's relationship to America is so interesting, right? Like, Captain America yeah. wore it very unironically in 1940. Um and I guess continues to wear it unironically, but this is sort of ironic that a guy here is wearing the flag, right? This is. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's very on the nose to have this guy wearing it. At, if you're reading this straight, right. The citizen V and he's wearing this. It's like, this is replacing captain America in a sense. So it's like, he's got this flag motif. So he like fits that role very well. Instead of a sword, a shield, he's got a sword. Uh, he's based. The name is based on a golden age or, or a very old citizen V character that does not have much going on. So they just kind of took the name and, and repurposed it. But uh, yeah, he's got this patriotic look and it is very fitting that Baron Zemo would dress himself this way. If his yeah, plan was to pretend to be a hero, this is what he would think a hero would look like. And plus he's obsessed with Captain America and defeating Captain America. So to kind of like assume the flag and like use it for evil is kind of personal to Captain America, really. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Homelander also wears an America uh, an American flag style in the boys, and I guess it's if you're going to have your nasty people posing as heroes, a flag is a good way to communicate kind of hypocrisy and amorality. Yeah. You using the flag like uh, when you don't mean it, sort of. Yeah, and definitely on this page so far, V seems like earnest. He seems like he is what he is. Uh, and then he introduces his team, the Thunderbolts, which is Songbird, Mach 1, uh, Meteorite, Techno, and Atlas. Uh, and I think everyone but Meteorite has great designs. 
I think meteorites design doesn't really work for me, but Mach 1 looks cool. Songbird looks awesome. Atlas looks great. Yeah. And Techno looks really cool too. Um, yes, yeah, so they're, they're pretty good designs. We've seen a lot of uh, uh, great, you know, we've seen, you know, Cockroom and Burn, great costume designers. Uh, must, it must be fun when a comics hero gets to design a character like that. They must, they must uh, like it. I also say Meteorite redesigns her costume around issue, right? I think after the first 12 issues. So I think, um, and Mark Bagley was still the artist. So I think that was probably him just going, eh, I think I could do better. And so let's give her a new look. Is it just too like sexy girl? I mean, it's like just sort of like spandex glove kind of. It's too like, it's a little busy. It's got lots of like spikes and stuff. It just doesn't look as simple. Like, Mach 1 looks like a plane, right? Songbird, it's those wings do a lot of the work. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Atlas is that big A, right? Like, they're yeah. just, they all have something you can lock onto. Meteorite just sort of is like garish and armory. And it's kind bland. of like a flashy phoenix in a way to me. It's sort of like, yeah. Um, she okay. basically has a less armored version later and it just looks good. Uh, a little, like, little simpler. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we get into the battle uh, the Thunderbolts versus the Rat Pack. Um, it's a re- so we're seeing them demonstrate their powers, and it's one of those uh, battles that I think is just smart and good. Like every use of the powers tells you something about their abilities. We start to learn about their personalities and how they work together. There's a lot of story going on along with the fighting here. Right. I mean, at this point, Kurt assumes you're reading this thinking these guys are straight, so he's trying to sell you on these characters and give you their personality outside of the twist. So we like, see that like. Uh, techno is sort of a showboat and and sort of yeah. isn't working well as a team because he's just having too much fun uh yeah atlas uh atlas seems like a huge big heavyweight but he's got some vulnerabilities you can take atlas down if you're if you you know he's not he's not an invulnerable uh strong man or whatever one of the first things mach one says is lucky for you we're the good guys folks which is a very telling line that would be on his mind yeah right um and uh, it's, it's meteorite is shown as kind of like uh, smart. She sees that Mach One has left Atlas vulnerable and saves him. That that uh, a, that Techno has, yes. Techno has, yeah. And um, so we're kind of learning that she's like kind of a number two to Zemo in terms of like taking the high view of everything. Right, and like basically we get like three pages of battle, and then we cut to the news cop chopper. Um, so right away we're getting into like this news person is filming it and is talking to like the mayor's office or something and and like the liaison hears about this and, like there's new heroes like that is really the heart of what this story is about new heroes this is exciting yeah it's like a big moment what new ones and of course she'll become a character here uh, the mayor's um, liaison or lieutenant or whoever yeah Dallas Riordan Riordan sure yeah. Um, uh, yeah, she's a new character for Thunderbolts. Yes. Um, okay. And so the battle continues. We see more powers and the Rat Pack gets away. Yeah. Um, they reveal uh, that there's some, they're almost about to surrender. And then they reveal there's some tunnels and they all escape into the tunnels and the Thunderbolts are like, well, that's all right. We announced ourselves and now people know that there's heroes protecting us. And that's really what that's, that's the victory here. Yeah. And I think we should take a break there. Well, I think that's a astute idea. That's a Busick like sense of where we are in the plot. Hmm. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. I changed my mind. I don't think we should take a break. Well, we already we already did it, so it's too late. The, the break's over. Hmm. Sorry. All right. Um, so we cut back to the Thunderbolts and they're at their headquarters, which, uh, Kevin, what kind of headquarters do the Thunderbolts have? It's like an abandoned pizza place. <laughs> yeah, really funny. Um, I, I like where Busick, Busick's very funny, um, but he doesn't, he doesn't like make, I, I like what he takes seriously, what he doesn't, right? Like on the front sign of this pizza place, uh, the abandoned pizza place, on uh, the front door, rather, there's a sign that says closed due to onslaught. Yeah, Onslaught um, was the name of the villain who killed the X-Men and Avengers. So that's both factually true. This pizza place has been devastated by Onslaught, but there's something funny about putting it that way. Yeah. It like kind of rides the edge of making fun of what's happening, but not really making fun of what's happening. And also that this is what happened. This is why this place is available. You imagine like a pizza place uh in uh um the Wall Street area with a sign that's closed due to 9-11 after 9-11. <laughs> like, we know. We know, we know why, why you're closed. <laughs> um, it would almost sound like whining. Yeah. You know? Um, so uh, we see the heroes, and they're in a very non-glamorous place, and they kind of talk about that, right? Uh, why, why don't we just use some of the bases that the Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus has built before and abandoned? And it's like, well, we can't afford to maintain it. Uh, we don't need anything fancy. This will be fine. Plus, people, you know, know we're here. Um, they're very they they are thinking through their own choices the way a comic book writer might think through their choices. And they're right. and they're thinking through things that you know. A lot of times, like when you're reading comics, it'll be like, you know, well, if you're having trouble, Spider Man, why don't you call in the Avengers? And whether or not the comic book tells you why Spider Man doesn't do that, that's like a choice. Kevin, I know you don't like it when they spend a lot of real estate doing that, but sometimes it can be fun to acknowledge, hey, we're in a bigger universe. Why don't we do that? And I think Kurt's got a good sense of when to have that awareness. I mean, it's also the point of this comic. This comic is just, this comic is, despite what I was saying earlier, is built to live in an existing connected universe. It, right. it works at its best because it can mine all these other characters and existence and bases and villains. Uh, this is less weirdly, despite it being like a new idea, this is less about creating new ideas and more about repurposing all the stuff that's out there to play with. Uh, yeah. And you also see a hint, like, especially on reread where citizen V is sort of a little meaner, a little curt or uh, a little uh, a terser with his team here behind closed doors. Uh, he was very much upfront and like, all right, team, let's go get these rat packers. And here he's sort of like, no, we're not doing that. Um, yeah. Because he's Baron Zemo, a villain. Right, right, right. And does it, does it get other villains? And Kevin, does it get revealed in this issue that the rat pack has been hired by them to just be their punching bags? The rat pack were not hired by them, I don't think. Oh, okay. That kind of it's, a 
that's another thing they I think that does happen, but I don't think the rat I think the rat pack were hired by somebody else to steal stuff. Uh, okay. What was their secret mission? They were kidnapping that girl that was kidnapped. Oh, they were they They're, were kidnapping that girl. Okay. Yeah. We, it's just not explicitly said. Later on, that girl uh shows up at the Thunderbolts as a uh, hero or as a member of Thunderbolts. She shows up at the headquarters asking for help because by this point, later on, the Thunderbolts are gifted. Uh, the Baxter building for Freedom's Plaza, as it's known in this time, the old Fantastic Four headquarters are gifted that as a headquarters space. Okay. Uh, and she shows up there looking for the Fantastic Four and has to settle on the Thunderbolts to help her. And she has powers. And so they help her whatever would deal with whatever had kidnapped her. And so they kind of deal with that issue. And then Meteorite Moonstone manipulates Baron Zemo into adding her to the team. Um, got it. Uh, okay. Thank you, Kevin. So back in this story, we are, we're in the headquarters and we see them all interact and we get a little personal dynamics here. They're all kind of resting in their, their quarters and we get little visits to see their personalities and how they feel about each other. We get to see meteorites sort of walking around, getting the lay of the land of all the people, which is really interesting because Moonstone is a therapist, sort of an evil, corrupt, bad therapist who uses her (laughs) her therapy skills for evil, uh, but it, it makes her maybe my favorite member of the team. Because um, she's just so devious because... Uh... Yeah, she's because as this team goes on, especially once you get beyond the first year, she is a member of the team. She's not out and out villainous. There is a slight chance of redemption with her, but she's like, just basically this like, I, I have a soft spot for villains on good guy teams that you can't get rid of. I think of it as like a lost in space, the doctor from lost in space. Right. Right. Where it's like, you're not going to kill him or get rid of him. He's the doctor. You need his skills. Also, you're not a murderers and there's not a jail to send him to You're lost in space, but he is also the cause of all your problems. <laughs> uh, and I, there's something very fun to me about this. Like, Oh yeah. Our, one of our greatest threats is us and yeah. we can't get rid of it. Um, that sort of thing I think is very fun. It's interesting. Uh, I'm just team. realizing around the same time that Thunderbolts is coming out, Alan Moore is coming out with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Well, we're not talking about that comic, Will. I know, but it's just like creators are sort of like making teams out of existing parts mm-hmm. and kind of seeing how they would work ironically as a group. Just seems to be kind of in the air. Um, I don't know. Uh, all right. So we get here, um, uh, evil therapist, uh, meteorite is checking in on people. So we see that Mach 1 and Songbird maybe have a thing going on. Yep. Uh, they're interested in each other. What does a meteorite mean when she says, hmm, that was fast, even for her? I wonder if she even knows that she does it or why. Well, we don't know at this point, right? This is just giving us a hint that, like, there's a backstory to Songbird. Okay. Okay. But I think it's just, like, she's either uh, – she couples up very quickly. Okay. Got codependency uh, issues. She might need we, codependence no more. We, we get her backstory in this, uh, I think, early in the second year. And yeah, she's got a lot of relationship issues. She kind of goes from, she needs to be paired with someone for a long time. She, um, later on when Hawkeye is a leader, she sort of starts having feelings for him, which he pushes back against. He's a good leader. He doesn't want to have a relationship with a, a, a subordinate. Um, but and it sort of, really hit on the head there that's like you don't need to be with anyone songbird okay yeah. she feels that she does um and she's pretty 
So of course, Mach one uh, likes her. Um, that's the lesson of Thunderbolts. Uh, attractiveness wins. I mean, um, these are villains, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Atlas um, is sad because he was betrayed a little bit in battle yeah. by uh, Techno, and he's mad about it. And uh, meteorites assuring him to not worry about it. Yeah, and as I was saying, Atlas is a character that also surprised Kurt, like because I think he thought Atlas was going to be the tried and true hero. But he just sort of realized as he was writing this that no, Atlas is a guy who can can get swayed by a, a, a strong leader. Okay, he, he's not he's loyal, but loyal almost loyal to a fault. Like like if someone comes in and barks orders loud enough, he switches sides. Okay, right. So he is less reliable as a, a team member. Like Songbird and Mach One are probably the the most good characters in the Thunderbolts. Okay. Um, now we get to Techno. Uh, Techno, you know, cool dude. Yeah. Uh, just the coolest dude. He's hanging out with his hand behind his head, all cocky. He's got his robots bringing him drinks. Yeah. Um, and Meteorite doesn't like that for reasons I don't understand. Well, they can't look, they don't want to look like they're doing okay. They need to look like they are barely getting by. That's part of their plan. Okay. So if they have the ability to equip themselves with high-tech computers and, and get all the information and be state-of-the-art superheroes, what do they need to be given by the city? Nothing. Like if, okay. if Tony Stark is funding you, what do you need to get from the city? If you've got Reed Richards yeah, uh, resources, you don't need anything. They want something. Okay. So they want to look like, hey, if you – it becomes a very big part in these like first six or seven issues that Baron Zemo is like, if you guys would give us funding, if you guys would give us access to government records – we could really be good heroes. Kevin, we're we're need, held back because we're working at a pizza place. Kevin, I need you to be on call when I'm reading these issues. Uh, I mean, this stuff isn't supposed to be known now, right? This mm-hmm. is a, 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 these are all hints. Uh, when you're reading this the first time, you're just like, oh, what's going on here? Why can't, why, why as Moonstone and Baron Zemo, why do they think it's so important to not have, to, to not be comfortable? What's going on? That's interesting. You don't realize it until like the next issue, it gets spelled out more. But in this issue, it's not spelled out. It's not meant to be. Um, okay. So then we move to like the, that first press conference we talked about where Citizen V introduces Thunderbolts to the press. And I think this is what I mean by like me enjoying this comic. Like if it was all this Rat Pack battle that was basically two and a half pages, I probably get more bored with this, but I got really into this part. It's meeting these characters in their headquarters, this press conference. I'm like, what is this book about? This is interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, the names are good. The design is good. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, Citizen V is clearly like posing his answers to win over the crowd. He's not like lying. I mean, he is lying, but they don't sound like <laughs> lies. They sound like they sound just like careful. They sound just yeah. like somebody who's very aware of image. Uh, not yeah. image the company, <laughs> but uh, one's public relations image. And these characters have clearly all been coached on how to respond to this. They're all like answering these questions very carefully. Yeah, they, they sound like a boy band who's like being let free beneath, before the reporters and they got they have like talking points they're saying. Yeah, it's athletes too, right? Like it reminds me of like in a locker room, like uh, how did you feel uh, you guys won this game? Do you think you guys got this championship in hand? Well, you know, it's just one game. We got to come back out here, keep trying. Those guys are competitors. Uh, yeah. They're all really great players because, like, nobody wants to say that gaff. Um, yeah, nobody wants to say I'm better than them, and I hope I get yeah. laid tonight. <laughs> yeah, 
It's like game's over. I don't I'm not even thinking about it anymore. I'm gonna yeah, go. Yeah, I just do this for money and I'm just good at it, so I'm allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, then they break off into individual interviews, which also just seems like kind of coached and arranged. We see that mm-hmm. they each have a, a little style when they get interviewed. Songbird seems a little overwhelmed and sincere. Techno's eating it up. Uh, Mach 1 seems fine, actually. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, while they're doing this press conference, they hear that the Rat Pack have been sighted again, and they leap to action. And again, at this point, this book is still playing pretty straight in your head as a reader. You're like, oh, they're going to get their, their redemption chance to get the villains of the issue. Yeah, it's a complete story. It's you know, it's smart writing. They're it off makes to fight sense. These rat you don't packs. suspect anything as as a reader. Um, that that is where I this is where I thought the Rat Pack were hired by Thunderbolts though, because like um, the head of the Rat Pack, the sort of goatee Tony Stark looking dude who leads the Rat Pack, says, "Here they come, bold as brass and predictable as fish on Friday." I love that phrase, by the way, <laughs> being paid a bonus for this pack. So make it look good. Make it look good. Made me think, oh, maybe they're hired by Thunderbolts, but I'm wrong. Um, I'm just defending that I'm not dumb, Kevin. Sure. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, so we get that we get the battle. And now this time the public is really watching and we see them rooting for the team. And and this is where I was like reading this book. Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep getting this book because uh, like again, I went into this book. Going, this book's got to win me over. And when they fly by the window and everyone's like watching through the window and getting excited, like this is fun. This is a fun book. I mean, I'm on board. Kurt won me over. No other twists or reveals needed. I'm yeah, buying so issue it's, two. It's so interesting. It's like you're into the sixth sense. Like, yeah, I like this kid in Bruce Willis solving mysteries. I mean, I love the sixth sense. I think the sixth sense is a great movie without that twist. It's spooky and moody and interesting. The kid can see dead people. That's a good movie. Yep, it's true. You don't need true. the twist. The twi- like the best twists, I think, do that, right? They like, oh, they take this movie to another level. They, they augment a good thing. Now I want to rewatch it with this new lens, but they they aren't. If you take that twist away and a movie is bad or a story is bad, it probably wasn't that good a story. Right. Um, yeah, so that's uh, so that's solidified that we're going to be following the public's interest in this team. And um, now the Wrecking Crew get involved. Right. Um, the Wrecking Crew. I love the Wrecking Crew. I only really knew them at this point, probably mostly from Secret Wars but I love them. Uh, and so, yeah, and, th- and these are a level up from the Rat Pack, to say the least. These are very powerful villains. The Wrecking Crew is interesting because they can also, they could be a joke. You know what I mean? Like they could be, they're, they're like the Frightful Four. Like they can be presented as a legit threat or like silly kind of, I think. Yeah. I mean, they're Thor villains, I believe. So like they're, they're that's pretty intense, right? Thor's powerful, but they're mostly just a bunch of thugs, st- super strong thugs. <laughs> yeah. Like their weapons are, crowbars and uh, uh wrecking balls and a guy named a uh, uh, bulldozer who just like hits things with his head <laughs> i mean like, <laughs> the the wrecking crew seems like a bunch of guys who are bouncers at bars are like let's be super villains and just like break stuff and like yeah. and beat people up but they're very they're very fun when they show up for this battle though techno says the wrecking crew but we can't fight them they're and Baron yeah. Zemo interrupts him, or Citizen V interrupts, going, dangerous, powerful villains, each with the brute force of an Asgardian god. That may be, Techno, but fight them, we shall. Like, he, like, stops it, him before he says. As yeah. if they're being listened to. Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, they're being watched at the very least. Um, and I guess it's that superhero thing where we just assume all the dialogue can be heard if a camera's pointing at them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they are being listened to, so he is correcting himself for the cameras. Yeah. 
Uh, but it's, yeah, it's just very interesting, like reminding him, like, we're heroes now, techno. But reading this the first time, I think that just sort of slipped by me. Yeah, I think it's, it's it sounds like we can't fight them. They're too powerful. Right, right. Um, but but the way he's interrupted is very clearly like to stop him from finishing that thought. Right, that they're, they're fellow villains like us, <laughs> which would be so funny if he did say it. Yeah, um, or they're our friends, maybe. I don't know the, the relationship between some of these characters. So now we get another battle. Um, and we're seeing the Thunderbolts kind of level up, but now they're sort of being outmatched by the very powerful Wrecking Crew. Uh, it's around the Statue of Liberty. The Wrecking Crew break off the torch arm. Uh, very, a real big villain move to hurt the Statue of Liberty, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then to defend the Statue of Liberty is very convenient for our guys who are trying to win over the public as good guys and guardians of uh, the country. Um, the use of powers is really interesting. Kurt's got like that Jack Kirby way of like creative, just uses of the powers. Mm-hmm. Um, techno yeah. puts, uh, or no, I'm sorry. Mach one puts like gas in the mouths of each of the wrecking crew. And then songbird puts sonic hoods around their heads that holds in the gas to make sure they get like a concentrated dose of it. Yeah. Knocks them all out. Um, there's a moment where Atlas who got, tossed into the ocean freaks out like it's super super angry and punches uh bulldozer like uh, across the city i guess yeah out of manhattan uh over into the bronx which is a several mile punch that's that's yeah. like rogue getting punched <laughs> yeah exactly um uh, and that, so- that's like a moment of like oh this guy's got anger issues he seemed so nice and sweet in the earlier fight like oh gee gosh gee willikers and here he's like furious um, I, you know, I said before that Mach 1 said they're cheering, they're cheering for us, but I'm wrong. It's Techno saying that. My bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is where they win the battle and the crowd is cheering and Techno's kind of marveling. It's cheering. They're cheering for us. That yeah. to me is the first time when I read this that I'm like, oh, they're really hinting now that something's going on. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, they set up like that Atlas maybe uh, – it has romantic feelings towards Dallas. Yeah, the mayor's aide. Uh, they're fixing the Statue of Liberty, so they're also expert, you know, um, you know, metal workers. Good for them. Right. That's All superheroes are good career. at re- superheroes are good at repairing stuff. Uh, there's merchandise being sold with Thunderbolts logos, and then we see like other superheroes commenting on them. Yeah, giving them the thumbs up. Spidey gives them a thumbs up. The New Warriors give a thumbs up. Uh, Black Widow gives a thumbs up. Black Widow gives them a very muted thumbs up she becomes she's very suspicious of them through the first year they're too convenient for her and she looks into them but uh she's like yeah this probably is good um and then we cut the thunderbolts at their headquarters watching the news and this is the big reveal yeah uh they're all watching it they're like oh this is great uh and then citizen v walks in without his mask on he's got a horribly scarred visage good word Uh, kev the uh, Citizen V, your face, not a pretty sight, is it? You would prefer to remain hidden behind a mask, eh? Very well, but not the mask millions have come to trust today. <laughs> oh, I love your villain voice. Uh, instead, I wear a rather older mask, a mask with darker associations. The mask of Helmut 13th Berenzimo. <laughs> 13th. Uh, yeah. And leader uh, of the Masters of Evil. You have done well, my Thunderbolts. Or perhaps, and this is this is it. This is like the sixth sense. I've been dead the whole time moment of Thunderbolts. Yeah. 
Perhaps I should use your other code names, Fixer, Beetle, Screaming Mimi, Goliath, and Moonstone. Yeah, and it's interesting. These heroes aren't like, it's not like, it's not like Dr. Doom, Dr. Octopus. Uh, right. You know, but still still a huge moment to realize you've had one put over on you, the, the reader, in a fun way. I mean, it is true. The Masters of Evil are. Um, yeah, that's a known thing. Generally, like, led by Baron Zemo and then a bunch of just, like, B-level villains. Yeah. Like, the, the, the lineup of Masters of Evil rarely matters other than it's Baron Zemo. And then the comic, and then we cut back to the girl who was kidnapped at the beginning to imply that we're going to be learning more about her in future issues, and the issue ends. Yeah. Uh, and I, when when I read this issue, like, this floored me, this moment here. It's just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, how did I not know that these guys were villains? What does this mean? What kind of comic is this? I thought this was going to be a comic about, like, these heroes trying to fill this void, and now I don't know what this comic is. Um, and it very quickly becomes... It, it, it's under sort of the guise of like, oh, this is Baron Zemo's plot, but really it becomes about the other heroes, non-Baron Zemo, the other ones sort of deciding if they want to be heroes. Yeah, they had this chance just to go straight. And Baron Zemo is almost the villain of the book. Trying to thwart them in their redemption plots. Yeah. So it's a really fun series. Uh, the first year is exciting. It wraps up with the Avengers uh, coming back to Earth uh, and fighting them. Mm-hmm. Like basically Baron Zemo's plan goes into action when the Avengers come back and he takes over the world. He wins. Uh, and the Thunderbolts have to stop him from within. Like the, the heroes that have decided to be good, which is everyone. Initially, it's everyone but Atlas and Techno. Um, but then Atlas doesn't want uh, Jolt, the new member, to get hurt because he she reminds him of his kid sister. Okay. So he switches to the good guys. And so the four non-Baron Zemo, non-Techno characters sort of fight back and Iron Man joins in and then they like free the Avengers and then the Avengers join in and they win and like the Thunderbolts win um, and it's this very exciting moment. It's like, well, now what is the book? Yeah. It becomes this big thing and there's this moment where the Avengers are like, well, you tried to take over the world. <laughs> you did help us. So I guess the question is, are we fighting you now or are you guys going to turn yourselves in and see like what happens? And they talk about it and they're like, okay, we're going to turn ourselves in. And then like an X-Men comic, they get teleported away, <laughs> uh, not by their own decision. And they go on their own adventure. And then when they come back from that, it's like, well, everyone thinks they ran. Okay, so now they oh. can't turn themselves in, but they still sort of want to be good guys. They don't really have a leader. Moonstone sort of becomes the leader for a year. And she's less of a good leader and more of a good manipulator from within. Okay. Uh, and then the third year, Hawkeye shows up and decides he's going to lead the Thunderbolts because Hawkeye is a former villain who got redemption. Oh, right, right. And so, and he also at this point, Kurt is writing Avengers. And there was like a storyline where like Hawkeye kind of wants to lead the Avengers, but, you know, Captain America's on the team. So it doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Yeah. But Hawkeye had led the West Coast Avengers and just feels like it's a demotion to be like not in charge. And so he's like, ah, you know what? This is where I should be. I should lead these guys. And so he goes to the Thunderbolts and goes, hey, I'm going to become your leader. I'm going to prove to everyone you're good guys and we'll get pardons and everyone will be, be free. Though he has got no such deal. He went to the government and asked if they, he could do this. And they said, don't do it. We will arrest you as well, Hawkeye. <laughs> uh, but so like the third year is like Hawkeye sort of taking charge and turning them into a good team. But they're sort of on the run constantly. Uh, new members join, people leave. Um, it's very, very fun. And then somewhere after the third year, Kurt leaves 
uh, a new writer comes in. Mark Bagley stays for a while. I read the title for a while. Um, and, and eventually the title like has really morphed a lot since then. Okay. It's generally involves villains, but like at times it's like a suicide squad team or they're, they're like being pressed into service. Right. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, an era where like Luke Cage was the hero and then the rest of them were villains who were like had bombs in their head, like just like Suicide Squad. There was a period where Norman Osborn was in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so this was his team <laughs> of villains that he used for uh, uh, actions. But they were black like black ops. Yeah, like a black ops, ops team. Um, there was a very brief period where it was a bunch of uh, a fight club. Oh, interesting. Um that was a really good book, but it was certainly not Thunderbolt. It was just like using that title's name. Um, well, it, do, it does seem like something that's more of a movie or a miniseries and less of a world that you live in forever. So I'm surprised really that it lasted so long. And it makes sense to me that if it did last a long time, it had to morph. Yeah, it's like sort of my question of what should Thunderbolts be if for a little while it was a team led by the Red Hulk, who was General Thunderbolt Ross. So I think that's why it had the name Thunderbolts, just because that's his nickname. (laughs) So there's times where it's like a pretty dubious connection. But uh, yeah, it's sort of my thing. It's like, I love the Thunderbolts, mostly because this first three years is so fun. And I love these characters. But I'm like, oh, if you brought the Thunderbolts back, is the answer? Because if you brought it back with Songbird and Mach 1, well, they're heroes now. Right. So then what is this book? Is it just these characters who have now redeemed themselves? Yeah, that seems like the story's over. Why do we care anymore? Um, but is it just another batch of villains redeeming themselves that's sort of just retreading it? Is it just villains? How does it work? I think at the end it needs to be... Uh, um, uh, I think the easiest way would be to like to have Songbird and, and Mach 1 with a new team of villains who are trying to redeem themselves. But... I don't know how you keep that fresh constantly. Um, and they're making a movie of Thunderbolts, and I don't know how that's going to work. Because there's not going to be a surprise. You can't have... Right. You can't cast Baron Zemo in that movie and then be surprised when Baron Zemo is Baron Zemo. Right, right. But redemption stories are interesting, and or mm-hmm. even you know, uh, duplicitous plots are interesting. It could be, could be good. And the MCU has a pretty good track record of, of adapting stuff smartly. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, um, it's a super fun book. Uh, uh, it has left me, I mean, I, I still to this day now, I liked Beetle before because he was a Spider-Man villain and that John Byrne designed armor that Beetle had was really cool. Yeah. Um, but I love Mach 1 so much. Like I, when he shows up in books, I get very excited. I think Songbird oh. is such a cool visual power that I get excited when she shows up in things. Yeah. You got a soft uh, spot for the Thunderbolts, Kev. And Moonstone, I think is just a really cool character because she's not, she never gets fully redeemed. Um in the brief Suicide Squad era, she is one of the ones being pressed into action, but like she's still manipulating from within. And like Mach 1 and Songbird are sort of like helping the on the hero side. So they're all sort of there, but it's very interesting to watch all those forces play against each other. Um, anyway, those characters yeah. really work for me. Since I've read this, I've read a lot of stories involving these characters. I read the Under Siege story with Baron Zemo, where uh, Goliath puts... Hercules into a coma. I've read like early Moonstone appearances versus the Hulk. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, also, I think Goliath originally was Power Man and he was like fought Spider Man a few times. Uh, and I've been rereading those. So he showed up. I'm like, oh, here's Power Man. And Moonstone shows up in those comics. I'm like, oh, the Thunderbolts are all around. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, Fixer, I don't know if I've read anything with Fixer. Screaming Mimi, I certainly haven't. Screaming Mimi almost has no history. <laughs> 
but yeah, uh, it's just fun that these yeah, characters well, were kind of repurposed. And uh, like Kevin said, this is one of the things that cemented Kurt Busiek as a major writer and somebody, if you hadn't already been convinced at this time in Marvel history, this would convince you. And, um, and it's one of the, one of the big ones, a, a big, a milestone in modern Marvel comics. I think the the Thunderbolts reveal. So if you haven't read it, check it out. It's like really fun. Yeah. Do we have time for a couple mails or are we done? I think we should just do a couple quick mails. Okay. So if you want to email us, email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to read a few every episode, hopefully during this Busaic season. Busaic, I keep saying Busaic because that's how I read it for so long. It's Busaic. I used to, I used to, I used to think that too. Uh, during this Busaic season. Um, but then when we get back to X-Men, we'll we'll churn through anything we we didn't get through before that. Okay. But we're going to stem the tide a little bit, a little bit today. Well, a little mailbag music. Here comes mailbag. Everybody get happy. Okay. This is an email from Doug Keller. He wrote us back in March. I recently got into your podcast after hearing Will Hines plug it on Comedy Bang Bang a few weeks ago, and it's quickly become one of my favorites. I'm in a few bands, and I'm trying to convince one of my bandmates to do an X-Men parody of one of the songs at an upcoming live show. This is so long ago. This will be no help. But do you have any advice on how I can convince Tyler to do a song about the mutants? <laughs> One of my other bands, Duke Maroon, has an album coming out on May 6th. We missed that, but uh, go out and look for it, folks. With an album art based off of X-Men 100, do you think I'll get sued? <laughs> and it's a uh, this is the cover where it was the X-Men, the new X-Men versus the old X-Men. Yeah. Is the original cover. I remember that. And this is a vicious battle to the death. To join the world's most famous wedding band is what it says. <laughs> uh, and it's got some characters with some of the attributes from the X-Men. It's very fun. Yeah, I see Marvel Girl's eyepieces, Cyclops's uh, little ruby visor. Uh, Cyclops's legs, Wolverine's claws. I don't think you're going to get sued. I think the parody is protected, dude. You're safe. Parody's protected. You're all set. And you're not using any trademarked terms. So I think you're 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 solid. Yeah, it's a really nice parody, though. It's really fun. So I wanted That's to share it drawing. well. Yeah. Here's a really good one we just got, Will, from Michael Sasbo. Okay. Hello, cowards. <laughs> I hope you two are well. I'm just finishing up Peter David's Incredible Hulk run, and it is awesome, Kevin. Uh, or it is awesome. Kevin, I love any of the issues that feature the Pantheon. I had never heard of them, but the Hulk Pantheon story arc is top notch. Yeah, for a little while in that run, the Hulk, when he's merged with uh, Bruce Banner, he's like one person, joins like this new superhero team called the Pantheon, who are like this secret society of superheroes that Kurt, that are rather Peter David created. It's a really fun era. The Pantheon is this weird thing where it's like, I don't care to ever see them again, but it was like a really fun era of the Hulk. So I do think of them fondly. Okay. Uh, Will. Yes. I'm a big fan of the part where Wolverine fights Wolverine in New Mexico. Oh boy. Only to find out that Wolverine was pulling the strings all along. So that <laughs> probably only makes sense to you. Well, um, yeah, uh, no, I remember that issue now. Uh, I love that you guys covered Marvels. What a great comic. My question is, if you made a new version of Marvels and had the story take place from after Gwen Stacy dies to now, what would be the four main storylines you cover? Oh, I would think all four events would need to take place in the same city to make sense. Off the top of my head, you could do not Onslaught, which we're sort of covering with Thunderbolts right now. Well, Mind Controlling Everybody, Civil War, Secret Evasion, and World War Hulk. Thanks for everything you guys do, Mike. I think right off the bat, I think I would, we, would do, we would probably end up doing 80s stuff. That's what we know better. So mm. it'd be easier for me. So like secret wars would be something probably yes. that would get, that would get covered, but it'd be nice. You know, the way like they did Gwen Stacy, like the emotionally 
packed thing. It might be interesting to do like Born Again or something that really wasn't necessarily big. Mm-hmm. In the Death Death of Phoenix would be one that you would try to cover if you're trying to cover oh, like yeah, the big yeah. Marvel events. Death of Phoenix and Secret Wars would be the first two that popped in my head. I think of things like uh, the Cask of Winters mostly because that just leaked into a bunch of comics when it was snowing everywhere which is a Thor storyline. might be interesting to do Venom, just like a big character that arrived in a major way in the 80s. Uh, He didn't like affect the landscape the way, but you could kind of maybe come up with a story where that's very personally affecting to Phil Sheldon somehow. Yeah, it might be Mutant Massacre might be better than Death of Phoenix if you're looking for something that just impacts the landscape. But I'd be wary of just doing crossover stuff, too, though that's like a mutant crossover, at least. Yeah, not just like an all-hero crossover. I mean, Secret Wars is interesting, right? The heroes all vanish for a little while. So you'd want to cover that to some extent. That's probably the big one. That would be like, right, That I'd center that in my book and then sort of build before and after that. Yeah, you have to think about it. Because you could also just be like, what's emotionally important to the Marvel Universe in the 80s? And the rise of the mutants as characters is important. So you definitely, you know, that mutant massacre mm-hmm. would be good there because you want the mutants to be the center of something. Yeah. If you're not doing Death of Phoenix, you'd want to do Mutant Massacre. You can't ignore them. That's going to be one or the other. Death of Phoenix is probably the bigger storyline. So you could certainly do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Cap losing his gig, right? Doesn't he get fired and become... Uh, nomad or a man without a nation or something for a little while that's something yes and then maybe think bigger because marvel sort of like thought about what is happening in the marvel universe like what is the mood of the marvel universe like the 40s is like world war ii is in the background and then like it's the fear of the rise of these heroes and the fear and the hope of the rise of the heroes so the 80s comics that's the era of frank miller alan moore greediness and cynicism so maybe you need a story that somehow talks about that uh if we don't go quite up to venom you could do hobgoblin in place of venom just sort of like this new fierce villain on the scene if you use him to represent like the grittiness and the sort of darkness that happened in 80s comics overall hobgoblin might be a good choice he's also repurposing an existing identity in a in a meaner more dire way so that that, that could be a good fit uh let's do one last one well and then we'll call it this is a correction we made some mistakes okay i can't believe it it's it's rare this is a a, a thomas franzen who's emailed us a bunch and he goes, I'm sure I'm the 10th person to tell you this. He's not. He's the first. But some issues you referenced in your Marvels episode one were misnumbered. Uh, Captain America's Silver Age debut was in Avengers 4, not 3. Uh, yeah, I realized that after we did it. Uh, 3 is when they fight Submariner and the Hulk. Uh, and that's I should remember that because they fight the Hulk for the first three issues. Yeah. Uh, or it's all Hulk-centric. Uh, the Wedding of Reed and Sue is FF Annual 3, not 2. So we swapped it with Doom's Origin. Okay, yeah. We were, we were in the right ballpark. We talked about two and three but i think we we, we settled we on them we settled on uh two uh, doom annual two is doom's origin that's a early strong moment from kirby and lee it's an incredible annual thanks for your lack of research if you sops got the details right persnickety nerds like me wouldn't have anything to do that's a nice positive spin that's a good no prize right there yeah we do it to help you nerds have something to do anyways thanks for writing everybody we've got a bunch of emails we'll slowly try to uh keep this mailbag in check as we go through stuff next week we're going to cover untold tales of spider-man and i think we're going to talk maybe not page by page but a little bit about issue 16 the mary jane issue and i'd also like to talk about the first annual which is called untold tales of spider-man annual 96 which is the mike all red drawn one will okay great 
so we want those. That's too much to cover page by page, but we're going to kind of talk about those and use those as a launching pad to talk about the series overall. All right, everybody. So uh, we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk, talk about, about comics. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Screw it. Screw it.